I stand before you this morning with a full heart. And my purpose is to tell you why that is so and how it came to be and invite you to experience the same. We're going to talk about the heart this morning, and I don't mean that ticker you can feel by taking your pulse. I want to talk to you about what for thousands and thousands of years most societies and cultures have referred to as the heart, that center of our being, that that which makes us human and not just an animal. It's that about us which with, with which we'd say we are, you know what, we are more than water and various tissues and a number of different chemicals and some electrical impulses. We are more than that. Scripture says, and I think in part this is what it's referring to, when it says we are made in the image of God. We have this ability to love and marvel, to dream and to cry. With our heart we hope and with our heart we despair. It is capable of such a wide range of experiences. And my guess is with the spotlight this morning, your heart was moved. I've got a couple of pictures I'm going to put up on the screen. They won't move you as much as the pictures you just saw in our little bragging on God piece. But they're powerful, not just the same. This is from a friend of mine. He sent it to me from the fire out in San Diego. He lives out there. This is a couple miles from his house. Now, you could look at that picture with the eyes of your mind and just say, okay, it's highly pixelated and it's a lot of grayish uh, blue, and there's some guys dressed in yellow who seem to just be standing there instead of doing what they're supposed to be doing. <laughs> but if you look at that with the eyes of your heart, you can almost picture standing there as one of those guys, can't you? And you can hear the roar of the fire, and you can smell the smoke, and you can just sense palpably the awesome experience, the power of nature, the, the insignificance of man almost. Our heart allows us to experience those sorts of things. The second picture that we're going to put up in just a moment is one that I shared with, uh, it's a piece of art by an artist named Jonathan. And there it is. Shared that at a covenant group of leaders retreat a few weeks ago around a worship and communion time. And there are a lot of people who were just brought to their knees by this artwork. Why? I mean, come on. It's just some different shades of gray on a white backdrop, isn't it? That, that's really all it is. No. Your heart tells you it's more than that. The language we have around our heart is very telling. A, couple, a week and a half ago, we had our corporate prayer service on Wednesday night. We had a half an hour of worship prior to corporate prayer. And I wasn't feeling that well that day, so I didn't even stand to worship. But I sat with my son, Kenny. He's 10 years old. We were right up here near the front. And he scooted over as close as he could get to me, and we kind of knocked our heads together. And I put my arm around his shoulder he put his up around mine, and with our two extra hands, we raised them to the heavens and just praised our Lord for a half an hour. And, and I would say about my heart, it soared. It just soared to have that experience with my little guy. 
It was just a week before that, though, I was driving home from work, and as I was turning from Highway 61 onto Roselawn, not too far from here, I noticed a couple of squad cars just go screaming by around the corner. They were in a bigger hurry than I've ever seen them, only to learn later on the nightly news that it was because they were going to a neighborhood not far from ours where a schoolmate of Kenny's, a little kindergartner named Sarah Bush, had been hit by a bus. And my heart just sank. This summer, my family and I vacationed out in Banff National Park out in Alberta, Canada, and we hiked one day up to the top of a mountain. And there we looked, my daughter, my son, my wife, and I, and there we looked at the lake down below and the river that was feeding into it and the glaciers on the other side, and my heart trembled. It's a crazy thing we call our heart. It quakes and it breaks. It weeps and it leaps. Sometimes it snores and other times it soars. Sometimes we hide it, don't we? I grew up not far from here, and I grew up as an elementary kid in love with a girl named Lynn Whitty, but she never knew. Nobody ever knew. My older sister, she kind of suspected, but I denied it. I mean, I, I, it got to the point where I had it so bad, I would hang out. I was very shy. I would hang out by the corner grocery store, which was about four doors from her home. I'd just hang out there. They think I was shoplifting. I was just waiting for a chance encounter to see Lynn Whitty. Your heart can be moved to all manner of goofiness when it comes to that sort of stuff, but you can hide your heart. So what do we do with this thing we call our heart, this, this center of our being gift from God that is capable of so much, such high extremes, such lows, and then also we can just pack it away what do we do with it? I want to take you on a whirlwind tour. Just, just briefly, we're going to do this over the next few minutes. Uh, I, I, I looked up every verse in Scripture that has to do with our heart. There are over 770 of them. Over the last few weeks, I looked them all up. And uh, what I've done is just sampled some of them. I want to give you a picture of what Scripture says about your heart. All right, so we're kind of a whirlwind tour of the primary themes. I'm going to resource one or two verses in each case. Uh, just know that they represent many other verses about each of these themes. The first thing that Scripture says, having to do with our, its view of our heart, is that it is life's highest priority that you love the Lord your God with all your heart couple of primary verses I want to touch on. One is Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. And this is repeated by Jesus in Mark 12 as the greatest commandment. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. What Scripture is saying here, what Jesus is saying is most important. Moreover, life's highest priority the greatest commandment is to love God from the center of your being, from your heart. The second thing we learn from Scripture about our heart is that it is our decision-making center. Deuteronomy 8.2 is a verse that talks about that. This is how they've come through the wilderness, and Moses says, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert for 40 years in order to know what was in your heart? 
whether or not you would keep his commands. It is from our heart that we make life's decision. It is from our heart that we decide whether we are going to follow God or whether we're going to do our own thing. All the choices that we make, they flow out of our heart. So says Scripture. And as such, it is also the seat of our will. Nehemiah 4, 6, they've come back out of years and years and years of exile. They've returned to Jerusalem, and Nehemiah is about helping people rebuild the wall. <coughs> Here's what we read. It was a monumental task. We rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height. For the people of God worked with all their heart. It is in our heart that we find the seed of our will, our drive, our resolve. The fourth thing we learn about our heart from Scripture is that it is the center or the fountain of our praise unto God. There are so many verses that reinforce this. Psalm 9 is just one of them, and it reads like this. I will praise you, O Lord, with all my heart. It's just a fountain overflowing with praise to you. And as such, Scripture also speaks of our heart as the center of our passion and desire. Psalm 39, verse 3 reads like this. This is what's called a psalm of lament. Actually, if you read the larger context here, David is crying out to God. He's saying, hey, my heart has grown hot within me, and as I meditated, the fire burned. Why? Because the heart, Scripture teaches, is the center of our passion and desire. It works in the positive way as well. In Psalm 28, 7, another verse that talks about it being the center of our passion, the, David says, my heart leaps for joy, and I will give thanks to him in song. The heart is our center of passion and desire. <laughs> our senior pastor, he is just wired for passion. Don't you love that guy? My wife said to me last night, she said, Kevin, it was really kind of good to have someone more normal talk about passion for a change. You know, a Scandinavian kind of, you know, stuck in the mud kind of guy. And, and she says, it's easy for Greg. He is so passionate. I don't know if you ever sneak up and, uh, close to the front where he worships on Sunday morning, but that guy is a dancing, and he's a swaying, and he's air drumming and jumping and bowing. He's got it all going. And me, yeah, it's a little less visible. But every once in a while, my big toe in my right shoe really gets going. And if you ever notice it, woohoo! <laughs> I'm just glad it's not my big toe that's God, that God is concerned about. It's my heart. It is the center of our passion and desire. Another thing Scripture teaches about our heart is that is the seat of our hopes and dreams. It's the seat of our hopes and dreams. Proverbs 13, verse 12 reads like this. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Why is that true? Because our heart is the center of our hopes and dreams. Just one verse of the many that I could share about this. The seventh thing we learn about the heart from Scripture is that it is very conflicted. 
it's pulled in two directions. The entire book of Proverbs is just full of verses that talk about our heart, and it'll compare and contrast a good heart and the things that flow from that and a corrupt heart and things that'll flow from that. And even in the life of David, we find that, that he was the man who hungered for God perhaps more than anyone else, and yet he also lusted after evil. That's probably why he says in Psalm 86, verse 11, teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. And then he says, give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. What a fascinating word he uses there. An undivided heart. But he knows this struggle. He was the man after God's own heart, wasn't he? But he was also the man that just fell from such heights. Our heart is conflicted. It's pulled in a couple of different directions. It is torn, if you will. And so we read in Jeremiah 17, verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things. It's just beyond cure. Who can understand it? Now, this is the verse that I heard quoted most in my upbringing in a fairly conservative church. I mean, this is the state of our heart. I need to content the study that I've done the last few weeks has been really helpful for me. This is just one verse set among hundreds. But what I got to understand here is Jeremiah is there's truth to what he's saying here. Our heart is deceitful. But he set this in a context where he's just crying out to God. He's known as the weeping prophet because his people have heard how far they are from God and they will not turn their hearts. And so he cries out, who can understand it? And I would say, we will. Because we must. From these verses that I've shown that are just a sample of all that Scripture has to say about the heart, we learn our heart is the center of our being. It's the seat of our will. From it, we make our choices. We find our resolve. It contains and holds our hopes and dreams and passions. And a good heart is a very beautiful thing, while a corrupt heart is ugly and destructive. So much rides on this, people. We had better understand it. How's your heart? How's your heart today? Were I to give you opportunity to answer that question, some of you would say, well, to be honest with you, it's hurting. Others of you would say, fine. <laughs> I've been asking this question of a lot of people lately because I have been on this quest. I've just sensed God saying to me, Kevin, I want your heart fully alive. Are you with me on this? And so I've been praying and fasting about this and seeking the Lord and talking to friends and the people in my covenant group that I'm in covenant relationships with and asking all sorts of people about this. And, and so one night I was having a fire over at my house one evening and I had a bunch of guys from Life Challenge over. That's our uh, college and just post-college uh, ministry and then we kind of went around the circle and I was getting very blase answers and then one guy he broke into this broad grin when I asked him how's your heart and he said my heart is great I'm in love <laughs> you know others of you if I were to ask you today how's your heart you'd say honest I don't know I haven't thought about it for a long time 
But there is a constant, even though the answer to that question may be very unique to each one of us in this room, there is a constant that is true for all of us today, and it is this. Your heart is under attack. It may be a quiet, silent work of the enemy or an all-out frontal assault, but I have come to realize that your heart is a primary target of the one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. It only makes sense when you look at what Scripture says about how important, how vital your heart is to everything that your life is about. That's probably why we read in Proverbs 4.23 the following. Above all else, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. To that I just say, guard it from whom? And the answer is obvious. The one who came to steal, kill, and destroy. In Psalm 147, verse 3, on a positive note, it says this, God heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. And you'd first read that and say, well, that's an interesting word picture that the psalmist is using there, bind up our, worm, our wounds. You know what? It's not a word picture at all. You know that's true in your heart. Because our heart is a primary battleground in spiritual warfare. Isaiah, we're going to look at this verse a little later. Isaiah, I'll just mention, refer to it now. Isaiah is prophesying about Jesus and he says his ministry will be to set the captives free. Your heart is a primary target of spiritual warfare. Satan would love for you to be ignorant of the fact. He would love for you to ignore that. You know, for 46 years, that's how old I am. For 46 years, I've been in the church. And until I read John Eldridge's book this summer, which is called Waking the Dead, The Glory of a Heart Fully Alive, I highly recommend it. It's informing a lot of what I have to share today. Until I read that book, I spent my life in the church, and nobody ever told me that my heart was a primary target of spiritual warfare. But it makes sense when you think about it, doesn't it? Think of how long Satan has relished our ignorance. And I'm standing before you this, this morning to say, no more, not in me, not in us, not at Woodland Hills Church. So I want to expose some of his strategies, the strategies from the father of lies, be aware his primary weapon is always deception. He'll take a little bit of truth and then mix in some poison with it. That's what makes what Greg has been teaching about so vitally important. We need the skills to expose the lies that are in our minds. The battle is very much in our minds, but it is for our heart. 
And to that end, Satan will tell us at least three different things. The first is this. The heart is wicked and not to be trusted. Now, there's some truth there. I just put a verse up on the screen that said the heart is wicked. Okay? There's some truth there. All right? But consider, would God delight in our praising him, our loving him with all our heart, if it was nothing more than a fountain that was spewing sewage? If our river of praise to God flowed before his throne out of a cesspool, would that honor our glorious God? The truth is God is in the business of granting new hearts. The truth is what we find in Isaiah 61. That the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, this is said of Jesus, to preach the good news, to bind up the broken hearts, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. Somebody say amen. Remember in how Psalm 86, one of the verses I put up, David had prayed for an undivided heart? Well, he gets his answer. In Ezekiel eleven nineteen, 19, we read, I will give you an undivided heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you a heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, a, a living thing, not a dead thing. He goes on later to add in, in 36, 26, I will give you a new heart. And then it goes on to say pretty much everything that's said in the verse above. God is in the business giving us new hearts that are undivided. But the enemy would have us believe that as followers of Christ, our heart is wicked and not to be trusted. This journey that I referred to earlier that I've been on these past few months, I want my heart to be fully alive, even if it means both toes are going or two toes inside my shoe. In my search and in my prayers and my talking with friends, I noticed a sneaky little lie that was set deep away within me, hardly recognizable. Some of you know that years ago, in another ministry context, I, I just had a personal train wreck. It was awful. And I left ministry, and I, I just went before the Lord, and he is so good. As awful as that experience was, the grace and the miraculous work of God is greater. And I stand before you today that I am so eager to be able to celebrate that. He is so good, and he is so faithful. And he, he did so much work in my life. And, and it was some years after that that Greg Boyd said, Hey, Calf, I think it's time for you to get back in the game. And my heart just soared. <laughs> when I first got here, it was about three years ago that I joined the staff, put together a team, a leadership team to lead our focus ministry. I felt so sorry for those guys. I was such a sap. I mean, we'd be sitting in a meeting over at my house just 
And I just watched these people sitting around me, and we'd be talking about this administrative block that I just hate anyway. And these tears would well up in my eyes because my heart was overflowing with joy at being back to do what God had made me to do. But this little lie that I just spotted recently kind of went like this. Be grateful, Kev. But don't get too excited here. I mean, hold back. Don't crank up your heart. Let's not make it fully alive. Unbeknownst to me, it was like this governor had been placed on my heart. Now let me give you the truth. I need to set it up with an Old Testament event that happened annually. It was called the Day of Atonement. And on this day, the high priest would enter what's called the Holy of Holies in the inter, inner part of the temple. And there, this high priest would offer a sacrifice to God for the sins of the entire nation for the entire year. It was a big deal. And so the high priest, is the only one who could do this, would, would spend weeks in preparation because he did not want to go into the Holy of Holies in an unworthy manner. The reason is the Holy of Holies is where the presence of God resided. Before he went in, the other priests tied a rope around his ankle. Because the holiness of God, the presence of God is so overwhelming that if he went in in an unworthy manner to the presence of God, he would drop dead. No one would go in and get him or they'd drop dead, so they'd use the rope to pull out his body. It's the truth. But in Jesus Christ, who paid the ultimate sacrifice. He was the ultimate sacrifice for yours and my atonement. We need not fear the presence of God. In fact, Scripture teaches that there is a new holy of holies, and you know what it is? It is the heart of every life committed to Jesus Christ. I am the new holy of holies for the presence of God to dwell therein. <laughs> Second Corinthians 1, 21 and 22. Now it is God who makes us both, makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us. He set his seal of ownership on us. And he put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. So also it says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, do you not know that your body is the new holy of holies? Do you not know that you are now the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who you received from God? You are not your own. What's the truth about my heart? What's the truth about your heart if you're a follower of Jesus Christ? It has been made new. The truth about me is I have an undivided heart that is miraculously redeemed and fit for being the new holy of holies, the dwelling place of a holy and loving God. Amen. And Satan would have us believe that our heart is wicked and not to be trusted. He will do anything to neutralize our heart. 
If you have sought Jesus for a new heart, do not believe the lie. I want to give you the second lie that he would just love to have you believe. It is this. Lie number two. Your heart is a fragile thing, so pack it away. Again, he starts with some truth. Heart is a very tender thing. It can be hardened. It can be callous. But it's meant to be a very tender thing. My, my daughter, Kari, has the most tender heart of anyone I know. And it's a thing of beauty. It's also easily wounded. So Satan would get in there and say, hey, it's a little too fragile, so pack it away. People, pack it away. And I want to stand before you this morning and say, don't pack it away. Give it away. Give it away to the one who, as we have seen earlier, heals our broken hearts and binds our wounds. The stuff that Greg has been talking about, about the lies that are in our mind, again, it's so critically important. In John Eldridge's book, he talks about basically the same concept, but the word he uses is agreements. We make agreements with our hearts when it gets wounded. Like, never again will I ever let anybody close to me or see if I ever... And fill in the blank. And when we make an agreement like that with our heart, Satan just pounces right on it. He's all over that. Yep, 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 yep. Just pack it away. That's a very good thing. Your heart is tender. Don't pack it away. Give it away to the one you can trust. Line number three from the father of lies is this. There are no strategies or lies. Oh, would he love for you to believe that. In a society, in our society today, the common perception about, in a secular society about us Christians is that we are some of the most boring people on the planet. That drives me nuts. We're just plain old vanilla, a little too self-righteous for our taste, so we'll just keep you at a distance. But it doesn't matter anyway because you don't make much of an impact. And you know what really grieves me? A number of you just nodded your head and said, that's about right. There's no war here. This is just all there is. There's a nephew of mine that I've been meeting with just talking about this sort of stuff. He's, he's outside the church right now looking in. And he sees this lie better than most people inside the church. We were having this heartfelt conversation one night, and he said, Kev, if all this were true, man, life would be so radical. 
If all this were true about Jesus and who he is and what he does when he comes into a person's life with all his power and strength and dwells therein, he said, man, people would be so different. He said, wow, if I jumped in on that, we could do just about anything. We could change the world. Unless you live your faith blind to the silent battle for your heart. I'll tell you what my nephew wants to see. He doesn't want to see great contemporary music. He doesn't want to see well-crafted theology. He doesn't want to see slick answers to every question you can pose. He wants to see what is written about in Isaiah 60. He wants you and I to do this. Arise and shine. For your light has come and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. Then you will look and be radiant and your heart will throb and swell with joy. That's all he wants to see. He wants to see a heart fully alive. Will you let God do that in you? Let me give you some practical steps. The first is this. And I hope through what we've said today, you're already there. Recognize the battleground. Recognize the battleground. And the second thing I want you to do is claim the truth about your heart. If you didn't get time to write down all those references I've flung up on the screens today, just email me. I'll send you either the PowerPoint that you've seen or I can transfer it to a Word document and send it to you like that. But you need to claim the truth about your heart. Number three, some of you need to ask God for a new heart. Maybe again, maybe for the first time. Do that. Today, you will experience such a freedom and joy. <laughs> Try me on this one. Please ask God for a new heart. The fourth thing I'd recommend by way of practical steps is to enlist your heart in the battle. It doesn't have to be a damsel in distress up in some tower, castle tower with a fire-breathing dragon swirling all around it. It is the center of your being. It is your power center of resolve and passion. Put it to work in the battle. Here's a practical way you might do that. Ask yourself in prayer, ask the Lord, who have you made me to be? What is my heart all about? Get that focused on what God wants you to do. I don't mean vocationally, just, just with your life. And your heart will be in the game. I was praying with one of our pastors about a month ago, actually, in my office. We, just, we were meeting to talk and pray about ministry, and we just shut the door, and the two of us had a great time of prayer. We were just praying for you guys, praying for our church. What a, what a cool thing we get to do that for a job. 
And after a while, we were praying, and we were just kind of going back and forth. It got silent, and this person whom I trust very much said, all right, this is weird, but I'm going to tell you about it. I'm just seeing something here. And since it's just the two of us, if you think I'm nuts, that's okay. I'm just going to tell you what I see. This person had no idea that I had been hearing the call of God in my life to have my heart become fully alive. And this person said, you know, I just see you wearing a brightly colored shirt. <laughs> Come on. This is all I got hanging in my closet. I'm sorry, it's doctors and just a plain shirt. It's all I got. And this person said, well, you know, I, I know it's not about what you wear. It's... It's what God, God's doing something in you. He just, he wants you to wear this brightly colored shirt that is kind of outrageous and brings joy to people. She had no idea how that spoke to what God was wanting to do in me. So my daughter, my 17-year-old Christy, went out this week to Savers and bought me a brightly colored shirt. How about that? Huh? See, the truth of the matter is, people, my heart is the holy of holies. It is a good thing, made good by God. And I want my heart fully alive. And God wants your heart fully alive. Will you stand with me in closing prayer? I'm going to recite one more verse. It's not going to come up on the screen because I just want your eyes closed. This is going to be a prayer for all of us. It's from Psalms 34, verse 5. I'm going to say it two times, and then I'm going to say it a third time, and the third time I want you to join with me and say it from the bottom of your hearts as a prayer unto God. Let's pray. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. Join me in prayer. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. Lord God, would that were true for every person here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You are dismissed.